Well, it's widely held that the average person in average circumstances could live three weeks or a bit more without food, considerably less without water. A week without water is about the max. Sometimes the time is much shorter, three or four days. And yet as we come to the end of Exodus 34, Moses has been on the mountain with God for 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. He's on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God, receiving God's instruction for his people, being supernaturally sustained by the Lord. In this way, Moses is a living example of what Jesus said when he was tempted by Satan after fasting in a similar way. Man does not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The God who supplies our daily bread is our dream of living water. Father, we thank you for your sustenance. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your faithfulness. And as we pause now to sit under your word, we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, teach us today. That you would help us to remove ourselves from the equation and open up our hearts and minds to anything it is that you Say to us, Lord, let us be receptive and let your powerful word do its work. We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. So as Moses comes down the mountain, he once again is carrying tablets with the laws of God written on them. One wonders if he has a little trepidation this time about what he might find below the tree line because the last time he came down and made his descent, the people had gone awry and they were worshiping an idol golden calf. The psalmist in Psalm 115 writes about idols and the people who make them. He says their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. Idols are senseless, the scripture teaches. They are useless, they are thoughtless, they are powerless. But what is worse, those who make them become like them. Those who trust in them become like them. That is, we become like what we worship. We become like what our hearts are set upon. In the words of English poet William Blake, we become like what we behold. Probably the most obvious proof of this, that we become like what we behold, is seen in how we're influenced by those we spend the most time with. This is why it matters who we keep company with. We pick up mannerisms and forms of speech, for better or worse, from those that we hang out with. I have a friend who is of Mexican descent, and my wife can always tell when I've spent time with him because apparently I develop a Mexican accent. <laughs> now that's fascinating to you, and I'm sure you'd love to hear it, but I can't replicate it. I just have to spend time with him. If you go down east a little deeper, dear, you'll come back, and you'll sound like you've been down east a little deeper. We pick up mannerisms and speech, for better or for worse, from those people that we hang out with, but deeper than that, we wittingly or unwittingly adopt also the values and the perspectives and the habits from the people we spend the most time with. 
So the question we should be asking is, are those people that we're investing in good for us or not? Do they, do they tend us closer to the Lord? Or do they pull us away from the Lord? 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us, it is it or its paraphrase, I'm sure, has probably been quoted to you at least once or twice in your life, that bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good character. The ISV version says this, wicked friends lead to evil ends. By the way, teenager, by the way, young Christian, this is why your parents give you the third degree over where you are going and who you are going to be with. This is why the questions might become a little more intense or frequent or pointed if it looks like, for instance, you are entering into a dating relationship with somebody. And it might feel to you like they're giving you a hard time when in truth they're doing their job. Their job is to protect you. Beyond the teen years, all our lives, we become like what we behold. So it benefits us always to make sure that we are beholding, that we are gazing on, that we are looking upon or investing time in that which is good and that which is godly. How blessed, the Bible says, is the person who does not take the advice of the wicked, who does not stand in the path of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of mockers, but who delights in the Lord's instruction and meditates in his instruction day Forty days, forty nights, Moses has been in God's presence, receiving, meditating on, and marinating in the instruction of God. Now it's time to come down the mountain. This time he would be pleased to find that Israel had indeed learned something. Previous failure. They had learned what to do. They had learned what not to do. They had learned how to wait in faith. This time they were looking for Moses and they didn't write him off. This time they were obedient to the Lord and they were patient. Encouraging to me, I hope it is to you, to know that we can learn from our mistakes. That we can recover from our sins. Some of the most profound lessons in life are very hard. It can be very painful and sometimes, sadly, some of them are self-inflicted. Good to know, though, isn't it? That our mistakes and our wrong turns can be redeemed. That they serve a purpose. That they could be educational, transformative. That they can help us to live better into the future. This is the gospel, right? This is, this is the good news that we can be forgiven. That we can recover from our sins. That we can begin again. The Bible not only says that we can begin again, Jesus says you must be born again. This is the gospel message, to know that failure doesn't lead to automatic or eternal disqualification from God's family. And Israel is standing here, as all of us here are learning, in God's presence, learning how to be God's people. As Moses comes down the mountain, something has happened to him that he's not aware of, but it's readily apparent to everyone who can see him, as he comes down the mountain, his face is glowing. His face is radiant. Now, if you can picture what that might have looked like, some guy coming down the mountain holding some stone tablets whose face is just ablaze, just a glow. 
if you can picture what that would look like, then maybe you can empathize a little bit with Aaron and with the people of Israel who took one look at Moses and ran away. It wasn't pretty when he came down the last time. Maybe it's not going to be pretty when he comes down this time. Last time he broke the tablets and then he inspired people to go around through the camp and 3,000 people died. And here he comes down with more tablets and a glowy face. We are out of here. Away they go. This is not something that they, that they should be criticized for. This is something wouldn't most of us do exactly what they did. It's unsettling to see somebody with their face aglow, I would imagine, coming toward them. But Moses called out to them, and the scripture says they returned to him. And <laughs> to say it returns, it just gives me that image of everybody going, ah! no, 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 come back, come back. And they do, because they are ultimately eager to hear what Moses has learned on that mountain. And despite his shining face, they all gather around him, and they drink in his words. He shares with them the things that the Lord had commanded him while he was on the mountain. Now, when he finished talking with the people, Moses put a covering over his face. His face was radiant, so he covered it. It would become his habit. Whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, to remove that covering, and for all we know, he could have done this for the rest of his earthly life because it's really not mentioned again. What we do know is whenever Moses came out from speaking with the Lord, his face was radiant again. So he would put the veil back on. So the 34th chapter of Exodus concludes in this fascinating way with this odd story. And we are left again to wonder about a section of Exodus. What is this all about? Why is this account in here? What is the significance of Moses' shining face? And what would this have to do with me? First, we can note in verse 29 that Moses' skin shone because he had spoken with the Lord. Which is another way of saying that Moses was not radiant because of any innate goodness that he possessed or any great uh, spirituality that was his, any holiness that belonged to him. The glory on his face was there because he had spoken with the Lord, because he had been with the Lord who is glorious. Moses' face was a reflection of his glorious God and physical proof of a spiritual truth Spending time with the Lord changes people. Spending time with the Lord changes us. Moses has been 40 days and nights listening, listening to God and being nurtured by God, lingering in God's presence, hearing God's voice. And it has a transforming effect. One writer put it like this, that we need to look at our relationship with Jesus as a priority and spend real time in his presence. Prayer, worship, reading, scripture, and meditative devotional time are all essential to having a strong grounding connection with God. The closer your relationship is with the Lord, the more capable you'll be of overcoming trials and difficulties in your life. You will see a bigger picture and be able to operate outside of what is naturally expected. Amen. Spending time with the Lord equips you to respond differently to this world, and usually we find that out because the converse is true. When we don't spend time with the Lord, we find ourselves being reactive. We find ourselves being yeah, quick to anger um, and quick with a sharp word or whatnot. But that, that settling, grounding presence with the Lord, sometimes we begin a day like that. It sets the tone for the whole day. 
this guy goes on to say, you'll see a bigger picture. You'll be able to operate outside of what is naturally expected. You'll bounce back from pain faster. You'll be quicker to love, slower to anger. Why? Because you cannot dwell in the presence of the Most High and come away unchanged. You can't have a close relationship with a living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and stay the same old you. Spending time with the Lord then, looking to and for and on the Lord, changes us. Now, there is a difference, we know this, right, between doing what we might call getting before the Lord, that's our quiet time, our devotion time, our prayer and reading, and spending time in the manifest presence of God. There's a difference between our devotions and spending time in the manifest presence of God, the way Moses did, where God comes down in the cloud. When we get, in other words, when we get before the Lord to pray, when we get before the Lord to meditate and to read and to hear what he has to say, we are not likely to come away with shining faces. The Apostle Paul spent three years after his conversion being taught by the Holy Spirit in the desert of Arabia, and we never hear of him having a glowing face. Nonetheless, the time that Paul spent doing this and the time we spend with God is indeed changing agent. If not externally, then absolutely internally. So first thing, the shining face of Moses shows us that spending time with God changes us. Beyond that, though, we can see three reasons for Moses' shining face. It is proof that he has met with God, a sign that God is with the people, and confirmation that Moses is the man God's chosen to lead them. Moses' radiant face is proof that he has, in fact, had an audience with the living God of he didn't just hike off and hide in the bushes for a little while and then return to Israel with a few words for the things to go the way that he thinks they should go. Moses has been meeting with God, which itself is a supernatural experience, and it yields a supernatural result, but not just a single supernatural result, a recurring one. Every time Moses goes in to meet with the Lord, after that he comes out in his face low. This is proof that he has met the living God in glory. Second, his shining face is a sign to the Israelites that God is with them. Remember, God's presence with Israel was in doubt after the golden calf incident. God instructed them to go to the promised land. I will honor the covenant I made with your fathers. I will honor the covenant I made with Abraham. You will have a, a promised land. God says, you go, but I will not go with you. And when the Israelites heard that, they realized the only thing that made them distinct in the world and the only thing they really had going for them was God's presence. And so they were devastated. They were grieved. And Moses saw that. And Moses went before the Lord. And Moses begged God, please don't abandon us. Please, please go with us. We don't have any hope if you don't go with us. And God relented. And we went over this last week that God was willing then to renew the covenant so God is going to make the trip after all. He's among them. And proof of his presence among them is Moses' radiant face. Every time he talks with God, there's proof that God is with them indeed. Now a third reason for Moses' radiance was that it confirmed his role as a chosen leader and the mediator for Israel. Because the glow face didn't happen to anybody else. Just Moses. And Moses is unique. Moses is an indispensable part of God's plan. Not someone who Israel could take or leave. Not someone 
who was trivial or on the fringe or who didn't matter. Years ago, I was involved with a church where a small group orchestrated the ouster of their pastor. I overheard a distraught church member ask one of the ringleaders who was responsible for the ouster, what are we going to do? He loved her pastor. Couldn't believe that he was not going to be there. And she said to this man who was in leadership, even though he was responsible for getting rid of this guy, what are we going to do? And I could, I could hear the pain in her voice. And he just looked at her and he said, oh, get another one. Prophets, priests, and pastors are called to ministry. They're called by God. They are not interchangeable pieces that can be easily replaced, substituted. And yet that is how Israel treated Moses that last time up the mountain. He didn't come back when they thought that he should, and so they were willing to write him right out of the story. Instead, they leaned on Aaron. They said, you can be our leader now. Build us a God. And he did. He built their, them a God uh, out of their own jewelry, an idol. And they were ready to move on without Moses and without the true God. But in fact, Moses is the one who has found favor in God's sight. Moses is the one in whom God is well pleased. Moses is the one that Israel should listen to. And so his face is transfigured, if you will, into something more beautiful. Moses is made by God. Now the use of that term and the story itself of a man on a mountain encountering the presence of God and glowing as a result might ring a bell to a New Testament reader and take us to a scene relayed in Mark's Gospel in the ninth chapter which reads, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. If there had been any doubt in the minds of Peter, James, John, or the other disciples even, but it's at least those three, as to Jesus' identity or his God-given mission, it was erased in that experience. And their response, how they ought to respond to Jesus, was cleared up by the Father who spoke from the cloud and identified his son and told those disciples, listen to him. Similarly, Moses' shining face authenticates him as the chosen one of God who is to be listened to. Shining is not a one-time occurrence. It happens whenever Moses speaks to the Lord. So his countenance is a glow as proof that he has met with God as a sign that God is with his people. Confirmation. And Moses is God's chosen leader and mediator for Israel. All that helps us understand the shining face. It really doesn't leave a lot to apply. Let's circle back for just a moment. Let's end on this thought with which we began. We'll wrap up with this idea in mind. 
that God is a glorious God who transforms those who look. Looking on God can be intimidating. Looking into the glory of God can be scary. When Moses came down that mountain and his face is shining, what did everybody do? They ran. It's a fearsome thing to see the glory of God, even the reflection of the glory of God. And to be honest, when we think about looking on God, doing, doing exactly that, taking the time to be quiet before the Lord and seek Him, that can be threatening. To be honest, we may not want God meddling in our life. We might not want Him poking around in there. We don't want to come clean before Him. Or we think, listen, we already know where we stand and we already know about our imperfections. And we don't need to sit and spend time in the presence of perfection in order to be just reminded of, of how imperfect we are and how unholy we are and how impure we are. There's lots of reasons not to look on God. And we can come up with a, a big, big list. But that doesn't change the fact. That our God is a glorious God. And he transforms those who will look at Him. Change that we need to make. It's not something that we can conjure up ourselves, but will come as a result looking on. We can only take it so far, and then He takes it the rest of the if it is true that we become like what we behold, then we would do well, I think you'll agree, to see that whatever it is that captivates our hearts, whatever it is that secures our attention, is good, holy, is right, is noble, is pure, is God. Is God more than anyone else, more than anything else? And this God, of whom I speak, this God of glory, is at work in all who believe. He is at work in all of us. Even if our outer bodies are wasting away, the Apostle Paul says, we are inwardly being renewed day by day. That he is present and real and working and perfecting us, even in our trials, even in our suffering, as we daily gaze on His goodness and His glory. He's changing us, slowly, subtly, surely, to become like Him. And, and He's filling us with a radiance that will never fade away. You see, the glory of God that came on Moses when he went in to speak, well, that was a glory that faded and was renewed and faded. But the glory we have, the glory of the gospel, the glory of the promised Holy Spirit in us, that is a glory that will never fade away. 2 Corinthians 3.18 testifies to this. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, our God is a glorious God who makes people glorious. 
the one who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus when we will rejoice to behold his glory. How we rejoice to know, God, that you will take us and make us glorious. There are times and days and seasons of life where we don't see such progress. We don't even know how to measure it sometimes, but you are faithful and your word is true and it's what you're doing. Our lives can be so complex sometimes that we can't identify your hand at work and yet your word tells us that you are at work and we believe it by faith. Lord, we want to praise you this morning for the gift of eternal life for the sweetness of the gospel, for the pledge of the Holy Spirit, for your radiating glory inside of us that is being perfected, constant hand, by your good hand upon us. Praise you, Jesus. Let's stand and sing our concluding